So let's pray, and then we'll read verses 65 down through verse 80, okay? Let's pray together. Lord in heaven, thank you so much for uh, how good you are to us, Lord. You have dealt well with us. Sometimes we don't feel that way. Sometimes we, uh, uh, dark thoughts that aren't true come into our mind because of the burdens we bear and such. But Lord, truthfully, you have been so good and kind to us, Lord. And how could we say that you've been anything but kind when we know that you sent your Son into this world for the express purpose of bleeding and dying on a cross to take our sin away? If it was that by itself, that would have been enough to tip the scale in, in favor of your goodness. But Lord, beside that, you've given us many temporal blessings as well, our families and our church here. And Lord, I just pray that you would help us, Lord, to honor you, to live for you. I pray that this lesson here this morning would really help your people. As we just look into your word, we think upon it, especially as the truths of your word uh, interact and often come into conflict with the doctrines and philosophies of this world. Lord, I just pray that you would teach us and meet with us and stir our hearts. Please, in Jesus' name, amen. Verse 65 says this, Thou hast dealt well with thy servant, O Lord, according unto thy word. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I have believed thy commandments. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now have I kept thy word. Now we're going to see, just pause there for a second, in verse 67. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. And then we jump down very briefly. I will not touch on this in the lesson, but it says, verse 75, the second part says, And that thou in faithfulness hast afflicted me. Because God is faithful to us, right? Because He is faithful to us, He refuses to allow us to go astray. You see what I'm saying? That, that's faithfulness. When you, when you have children and you discipline your children, you are being faithful to your children. It's not meanness. It's faithfulness. Because you are seeking their best interest and you are putting any personal feelings you have aside. And uh, overlooking, you know, when, when the Lord looks at us, when the Lord, the Bible says over and over and over how much compassion and empathy and how God's heart is inclined toward us. And even to the point of where, where when we are grieved, He is grieved. The Scripture teaches that. And yet God overlooks all of that, looks beyond all of that, and in faithfulness brings affliction in our lives to keep us where we need to be. And that's very similar to a parent who's being faithful to his child or her child. Verse 68 says, Thou art good and doest good. Teach me thy statutes. Uh, Brother Joseph mentioned this um, as uh, after the service, after Sunday school last week, how that, and this is, this is absolutely true, that the way we view God often determines and you know, guides what we, act, what we do in our lives. If we think God is mean and evil and bad, or we think God is good and kind and, and uh, compassionate, that affects the way we are. You know, oftentimes people that have a view of God where God is very stern, and we know that God hates sin, but they have a view of God in which God is just waiting to pounce 
You know, God looks, you know, with, with, you know, with dim eyes upon everyone, just waiting on them to fall and, and you know, searching out for any, you know, and, and the truth is God sees everything. I mean, God sees our heart. God sees our motives. He's, I mean, he, if it's bad, if it's, if it's ugly, He sees it. He sees it. But the attitude that the Lord's heart has toward us, uh, if we think it's mean and, and trying to catch us in every, I mean, does not the Scripture say, Lord, if you were to count iniquities, right? If you were to count iniquities, who could stand, right? I'm misquoting the verse, but that shows that the Lord is not counting iniquities, but if we think he is, you know what we do? We do that. Just by default. And so what we think about God, what Joseph said is true. That determines how we conduct ourselves as well. That's why it's so important to be a Bible Christian, to know what the Scripture says and not have a God made up in our own imagination, but the God that the Scriptures describe. All right? Verse 69 says, The proud have forged a lie against me, but I will keep thy precepts with my whole heart. Their heart is as fat as grease, but I delight in thy law. It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. The law of thy mouth is better unto me than thousands of gold and silver. Thy hands have made me and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn thy commandments." They that fear thee will be glad when they see me, because I have hoped in thy word. I know, O Lord, that thy judgments are right, and that thou in righteousness, faithfulness, I'm sorry, that thou in faithfulness hast afflicted me. Let, I pray thee, thy merciful kindness be for my comfort according to thy word unto thy servant. Let thy tender mercies come unto me, that I may live, for thy law is my delight. Let the proud be ashamed, for they dealt perversely with me without a cause, but I will meditate in thy precepts. Let those that fear thee turn unto me, and those that have known thy testimonies. Let my heart be sound in thy statutes, that I be not ashamed. So we're going to start in verse number 70. Verse 70 does not describe a person who is overweight. Verse 70 says, their heart is fat as grease, but I delight in thy law. This is not a description of somebody who is overweight. This is a description of the heart of someone that is compared to a gluttonous person. So you think about, you think about, you know, the idea of fatness, the idea of, I mean, because that's, I mean, this is the comparison. I mean, like, you know, I know there's, these days there's fat shaming, what do they call it, body shaming and you know, all these things where you can't say anything about, you know, what your BMI should be and because, you know, and it's glorified. Bad things that will kill you are glorified. And, of course, that's, that's you know, that's beside the point. But the Lord does make a comparison between a fat, a fat heart, a heart that is fat. And you know what this speaks of? There's only one way, well, I say that, of course, there'll be some, somebody that has an exception, but there's only one way that a person gets fat, and that's through abundance. A lot of food, right? Physically speaking. And you know what? Often, and this is what we'll see in just a minute, often what, what we find is that, spiritually speaking, we also can become fat. And that's good and bad. That's good and bad. 
You know, there's two things that two things that kind of stood out to me as I was studying this about the idea of being fat. Is the first one is the idea of abundance, that you only get fat when you have a lot, you have blessings, you have excess. But then the problem is, just like physically speaking, and this is why people want to lose weight, is oftentimes that becomes a curse. The abundance, when you're eating, when you're eating half of the Papa John's pizza, it's not a curse. Or, okay, all right, a whole Papa John's pizza. Is that better? <laughs> yeah. When you're, when you're eating the pizza, it's a blessing. But the curse comes after, when the effects of that are wrought upon your body, right? And so when you want to lose weight, it's hard. It's hard to lose weight. It's hard to, uh, to fast. It's hard to... Um, say no to those physical appetites. But those blessings become curses when your knees start hurting and you, know, and you start having problems with your blood pressure and the risks associated with heart attack and, and, uh, and stroke and those kinds of things. All from but what was originally, hear me now, what was originally a blessing. But it turns to a curse. Think about that spiritually. Because that's, that's, that's the mental picture. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 31, if you would. We'll come back to Psalm 119 in just a minute. But look at Deuteronomy chapter 31. Well, you say, somebody might say, probably nobody here, but somebody might say, well, I just don't think you ought to talk about people's weight. People are uncomfortable with that. You know what? I'm perfectly fine with not talking about people's weight. But the Bible talks about people's weight. (laughs) The verse says their heart is fat as grease. So we're going to look at what it says and what that means. Now, I'm not going to call anybody out here. Uh, you know, yeah, that's, that's not going to happen. But we do need to see the spiritual truth. Uh, Deuteronomy 31, verse number 20. Look at what it says. For when I shall have brought them, this is the Lord speaking to Israel, when I shall have brought them into the land, again, They're still on the other side of the Jordan River. They haven't gone into Canaan. Moses is still alive at this point. And when I shall have brought them into the land which I swear unto their fathers, notice what God gives them, that floweth with milk and honey. And they shall have eaten and filled themselves and waxen fat. Then will they turn unto other gods and serve them and provoke me and break my covenant. You notice there is a process abundance as a result of the blessing of God. That's what God promised about the physical promises to Israel in the land of Canaan. But that blessing, now, of course, God's intention was not that. God's intention was purely to bless them. But we are expert in taking good things and destroying ourselves with them. Taking good things, blessings, and making them a curse. I'll give you an example. One of the greatest blessings you will ever have, despite the naysayers. Listen. If anybody anybody says in my hearing that children, talks down about having children, that is not okay. Children are, listen, children are one of the greatest blessings that we can have. But... Is it not true that some people 
through their raising of their children, those blessings become a curse, right? Become a grief to the parents. Is that God's fault? No, God gave the children as a blessing. God gave the children as a blessing. And following God's directions, they continue to be a blessing. And then you have grandchildren. And I don't know, but I hear that that blessing is multiplied. Is that true? Yes. Okay. Is that true, Ms. Ms. Aguilar? Is that true? I think uh, Seth agrees because he's certainly content. Here's the thing. That's an example, though, of, of something that is a pure blessing. But somehow we manage to make it into something that grieves us. And, and I know that in children especially, because you're dealing with a, another sentient person with a will and, and all of that, but nevertheless, they, they are one of the greatest blessings we have. Look at another verse, chapter 32 of Deuteronomy, verse number 12. Look at what it says. So the Lord did, uh, alone did lead, lead him, talking about Israel, there was no, and there was no strange God with him. He made him ride on the high places of the earth that he might eat the increase of the fields. And he made him to suck honey out of the rock and oil out of the flinty rock, butter of kine, which means cattle, and milk of sheep. You probably have never, have never drunk milk of sheep. Just say milk of cows for us, but it says sheep because they drink milk of sheep. With fat of lambs and rams of the breed of Bashan and goats, with the fat of kidneys of wheat, and thou didst drink the pure blood of the grape. What is he talking about? He's talking about all the food that was in the land of Canaan that God blessed them with. Now, I guess that really drives a torpedo right through the, the idea that, you know, some things we shouldn't eat because they'll kill us, you know, you know, like animal products and stuff like that. That's what God used to bless them. Now, of course, that can be, of course, just like everything else, we can make that a curse. <laughs> but, but notice what it says in the next verse. But Jeshurun, that's Israel, waxed fat and kicked. Thou art waxen fat and art grown thick. Thou art covered with fatness. Then he forsook God which made him and lightly esteemed the rock of his salvation. They provoked him to jealousy with strange gods and with abominations provoked they him to anger. You see that? They sacrificed unto devils and not to God. To gods whom they knew not, to new gods that came newly up, whom your fathers feared not. Of the rock that begat thee, thou art unmindful and hast forgotten God that formed thee. Why did they forget? The blessings. The blessings turned into fatness, which turned to dullness, which turned to sin. You see? That's the danger. They took the blessings, forgot the blesser, and their blessings became the cause of their harm and ultimate fall. Look, if you would, at Psalm number 17. Psalm 17, verse 9. Verse 8, rather, says, Keep me as the apple of the eye, hide me under the shadow of thy wings. 
from the wicked that oppress me, from my deadly enemies who compass me about. They are enclosed in their own fat. Notice this. With their mouth they speak proudly. All right, so let me describe to you what I've observed being on the mission field where this is a little more not common, but evident, maybe. You see, in, in a lot of places, and certainly it's true in the Scripture, and when you read, you know, you, you can see it. You ever read the verse where it talks about someone, someone who's so fat that their eyes stand out with fatness? You, you remember reading that verse? It's kind of a weird verse to think. Their eyes are bulging from fatness. I've, I've actually seen this. What I've seen in Cambodia is these people who are wealthy people. And, and, and the problem is, in America, we know there are wealthy people, but most of the people we interact with and we know of, the people who are wealth, like wealthy, wealthy, are on TV. They're not people we know and interact with, generally speaking. Most of the people in this room are all going to be basically on the same stratum of economic whatever. You know, that's, you know, that's just the way it is. And so we don't, we don't come across people very often who, who have just money to burn. But when in, in other places, and Cambodia is one of those, you do find people that have money to burn, and you see them fairly frequently because it's very ostentatious. And they're often really fat. You know why? Because to them, it's a symbol of their, of their wealth, of their ability and by contrast, you see a person who's really thin, again, in that context, you see a person who's really thin, of course, that indicates that they don't have enough to eat. So the people that are wealthy, they eat to their heart's content way, way too much, and oftentimes drink a lot of beer, you know, they have the enormous beer belly and all that. And I've actually seen people that they were so fat that their eyes stood out, but they were a wealthy person. In other words, it was a symbol of their wealth. But you know what's also true of those same people? It's the same thing we read here. It's this sense of, this sense of arrogant self-sufficiency. This sense of, look, I've got money. I don't need anything. I'm not afraid of you. I'm not afraid of them. I've got enough money to take care of it. I'm not afraid of tomorrow. I don't need to worry about what I'm going to have to eat, how I'm going to pay my No, I'm good. I'm good. This, this wicked self-sufficiency to the point that it's like, I don't need God. Look at this. Look at me. See my rings on my finger? It's this arrogance. And this, that's, why, that's why we read here, they speak proudly. It's this dullness that comes from abundance. It blinds the mind and it makes us to where we can't see our need. We think because we have physical supply, therefore that applies to the spiritual. We know that's not true. In fact, what did Jesus say in Matthew chapter 5? He said, blessed are the poor in spirit. That's the very opposite, but that's spiritually. For they shall inherit the earth. Here's the thing, the, the warning I want to give you. Be careful and going back to Psalm 119, our verse here in verse number 70, it says, Their heart is as, is as fat as grease, but I delight in thy law. Listen, it doesn't, I'm not even talking about money. I don't care how much money you have. Nobody cares how much money you have. 
But be careful that you don't set your eyes, and I should be careful not to set my eyes on physical provision. We should be always, and if we're, it's the good thing is if you're in, your, if you're in the Word and you're, you're spending time with the Lord, the Lord's going to keep you in constant reminder, keep, keep a constant reminder before you of how weak and impoverished you are. You know what that does? That keeps that, that poor in spirit. It keeps you where you need to be. And when you get blessings, you rejoice, others rejoice, but you don't set your heart and mind on them. And that dullness doesn't overcome you and you become, spiritually speaking, an obese person, spiritually speaking. We, should have, we shouldn't be dull in mind, dull in heart toward God's Word, but we should be, and sometimes, sometimes when that happens, you know what the Lord does? He sends leanness. He takes the blessings away. Because sometimes the only way that we can really feel how weak we are is when those physical things that we've come to enjoy and rely upon are taken away. And the physical, we understand, applies to the spiritual. That's what he did to Israel. He sent leanness. But you know what they did? What did Israel do? Think of the book of Judges. Think of uh, the Babylonian captivity. What happened when God sent leanness? What did that cause? Anybody want to? They turned back to God. This is the idea in verse number 70. The tendency for abundance and blessings of God to harm us, to cause us to forget His goodness, cause us to forget the source of our blessings. The danger of becoming fat spiritually and being dull to the things of, of God. Look at verse number 73. I'm going to spend a good bit of time here, probably the rest of our time. Thy hands have made me and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn thy commandments. You see that? Thy hands have made me and fashioned me. There's just two points I want to make from this verse. Number one, God created us. Now, I know you all know and believe that. You believe that God created you. But let me ask you a question. How do you know, as an example, how do you know that you were born on the day that's written on your birth certificate? Does anyone in here know firsthand your birthday? No. We don't. We say, well, my mom told me, my dad told me. Okay. Well, it's written on the birth certificate, which was recorded by doctors and nurses in a hospital. And we assume they're, they're honest. But you know what? You know what we've done? We have relied upon the faithfulness and trustworthiness of those officials who record that information and upon the faithfulness and trustworthiness of our parents to tell us what day we were born. And in some way, that's similar to God creating us. There's not, a, there's not a person on earth that was present when God brought this world to existence. And when the first man was created, this world was already done. Everything was as it is now. In other words, complete. 
And so the only way man can know about his origins is through God's word. It's the only way. It's the only way. As if the creator informed him. Why is that important? Because it says, Thy hands have made me and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn thy commandments. Now we know Psalm 119 is about the Word of God. That's the main theme. The Word of God. But notice the connection here. This is actually a statement of God's Word. Of the importance of God's Word. Hebrews 11.3 says this, Through faith. We understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. How do we know that God created us? Listen, we should never ever back away in the face of science and doctors, and and, uh, I'm talking about doctors of science. We should never ever back away from this truth. God created me. I wasn't present when God created this world. I wasn't present when God created mankind. I wasn't present. We understand that through faith. You know, the reality is, is that those that believe in evolution also were not present. Also can provide no proof. No personal observation. And what they do is they have a bunch of little little things that they want to call evolution that they make stand in the place of the real thing. In other words, because bacteria change over time or, or the length of a bird's beak change or some silly thing like that. And they say, see, but that doesn't prove what you're asserting. Here's the thing I want us to understand and then we'll, I'll, show you, I'll, I'll show you the second one. This is a binary decision. Either God made you or he didn't. There's no middle ground here. This verse asserts that God made us. Either God formed us, as the Scriptures say, or we came about by random chance. And if that's the case, then the Bible is wrong. I know there are people that want to take Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, and they want to find epics of time, huge spans of time in in various places in Genesis chapter 1 to account for, to provide all that time that evolution is needed, that that is needed for evolution to, to happen even if it could happen. That's what they do. I'm talking about Christian people, theologians. They take different parts of Genesis and they say, see, this is not an actual day. You know, the first day and the second day and third day. This is not an actual day. What this is, these are long, this is poetic language just kind of describing long periods of time uh, in which the, 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 the creator, which they do believe in a creator, but he just kind of, you know, this is poetic description of the means God used by evolution to create the world. It's called theistic evolution. They believe in evolution. And it is a desire to compromise in the face of the shame they feel when, a, when, a, when a, a doctor looks at them and says, well, you're just ignorant. That's what it really comes down to. They don't want to look bad in front of the smart people. But here's the thing. Look at verse 73. And this is not the only verse. Verse 73 goes even further. I mean, you might be able to argue wrongly, but you might be able to argue from Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2 that God didn't create the world 
you know, in six, six 24-hour days. If you, want, if you want to argue, that's one thing. But that's not the only place in the Bible where that's described. There's no way you can read verse 73 and think evolution did it. You know why? Because God's hands are mentioned. You see that? The language is clear. So when God's hands are mentioned, what does that tell us? That tells us that His creation of us was personal. That is, He did it Himself. And it was individual. Notice in verse 73 it says, Thy hands have made what? Me. Now, stop. Think about it. I'm going to ask you a question. I want you to give me an answer. I want you to really think through your answer, all right? You don't have to, like, blur it out. But Did God make you? Did God make you like he made Adam? Now, we know Genesis 1. We won't, we won't read it. Genesis 1 and 2. The Bible says man was formed of the dust of the ground. Here's the thing, though. From a scientific perspective... We came into being by virtue of our mother and our father. And then once that process took place, we developed in the womb through a, 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 an observable scientific process, right? You know what? They knew that. <laughs> you, think that you think poor old David, you know, uh, 3,000 years ago sitting around, like, I wonder how babies are made. No, they knew, they knew there was a process with a mother and a father and then a lady carried a baby until term and then the baby was born. They knew that. They knew what, there was a, a physical process by which that happened. But even though he knew it, what does he say? Thy hands have made me and fashioned me. So even though we know there is a physical process, yet we still recognize that God makes us personally and individually. So you could say both. It's true. Even though we know how our genes come into being and all that stuff, yet God overseeing, yea, His hands are involved, making us what we are as an individual. So we can absolutely say, God made me. You know what that means? That means that He determined the details of each person. That means my tendencies, my likes and dislikes, my limits as a person, in my case, vertically. How I learn things. Get this. He determined my features. He determined my sex. That was determined by God. Everything about us, listen to this now, everything about us was made on purpose and by design by God to us as individuals. That's what this verse is saying. We, this verse is going beyond just saying God made the world. No, no, no. He did make the world, but He made you as an individual being formed in the womb. You. His hands formed you. That means also that God knows us thoroughly down to the finest detail. Now, you think of an example of this. Think about a builder, who's a builder who builds a house, right? 
And he builds a house and all, all that we see is the final product, right? But you know what that builder might do? Sometimes when that house is going up in the framing and they've got the pillars all, all, all uh, laid and, and all that and he's, he's framing out the house, you can't see the framing. You can't see the wood framing and the, and the timber in there. So that builder could go in there and he could make a mark or he could do, make some sort of symbol in there. And you know what? He knows it's there because he built the house. He knows every fine detail. He knows when they accidentally cut a hole here and they shouldn't have and that hole remains. He knows all of those details because his hands made it. We might not know it, but he knows it. And that's the way God is with us as individuals. And lastly, we belong to him by creation. We are his. The verse says, look at 73 again. Thy hands have made me and fashioned me. You know what the word fashion means? Listen to this verse. Woe unto him that striveth with his maker. Let the potsherd strive with the potsherds of the earth. Shall the clay say to him that fashioneth it? What makest thou? Or thy work, he hath no hands. You notice the terms? Fashion, hands. But in that case, it's talking about what? Clay. That's what this is talking about. God's hands forming us like clay. We're not talking about Adam and Eve here. Verse 73 is talking about me. Every little thing about you and me, God designed that way. Now, it is from that basis that we answer the ideas of transgender and sodomy and all these other trendy topics that come in our world. We know that God made us as male or as female on an individual level, and that can't be changed. It's immutable. But that comes from the fact that God made us as individuals, overseeing, forming each part of us. Not only that, this is also the reason that that we should be very careful about criticizing those things, not faults, but those things in our lives, in our bodies, in our, in our makeup that other people might, might find less savory or, or whatever, might, might not like as much or think it's, you know, like for me, it's my height, you know, and some people, oh, like, you know, like short, you know, coming up, you know, all, the, girls, the girls were all, because they always grew taller and I don't like short guys. And that's fine. Well, it ends up my wife is about the same height as me. Hey, we go around as who's taller. But, but you know what? My height is, my height is, not, is not subject to, you know, I, I shouldn't look at my height and be like, well, I wish I was taller. No, God chose. That's what this verse says. He chose to make me that way. And the things about you, God formed you intentionally, individually, personally, that is amazing. That is amazing. This is what us, this is this kind of care and attention to us is what makes us understand how, how just magnificent God is and his kindness toward us. 
And you know what? If God made us like this, we should be happy like we are. We should be happy with the way God made us. That's what gives us value. It was intentional, you see. I didn't get nearly as far as I had hoped. These are the kinds of things that create and mold our response to this worldly ungodliness that is so prevalent in our society today. It's nothing but an act of rebellion against God's creative power. I, I was this way. I was born that way. One person even said, this is Rick Warren. I know i got to close. Rick Warren was asked on a, um, on a, in an interview, what, what, what are you going to do if, if, they, if scientists find out there was a, a, a gay gene or someone has a, a gay gene? You know what? He was like, well, that's fine. That doesn't change what God has done. That doesn't change what God has done. But you know what? It comes back to the Word of God. The Scriptures say God made us personally. God made us individually. Let's pray.